This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to um, the Late Late Show with Sean Mackay, um, your host. Um, we've got um, a fantastic show tonight for you. Um, can't wait uh, to kind of get into this. I'm talking tonight with Alice Visser-Fury um, on um, Teacher Talk Radio about building a reading culture in school. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. I'll introduce myself to start off with. My name is uh, Sean Mackay. I am a uh, literacy coordinator at Wiston Academy. I've been working for about 21 years at the same place, um, but this is um, by far, I think, my the favourite job that I have had at this particular um, place. Uh, tonight we'll be talking about building a reading culture um, and hopefully we'll be talking about some of the things that um, has happened with Alice as she is um, taken over at King's uh, King Alfred Academy in Oxfordshire. In order to build a reading culture at, uh, at my school at Wixon Academy, there we've done lots of things in terms of trying to get students to read more. One of the things that we've certainly done is to try to encourage the library and people to go into the library a lot more. If you look around, I mean, if you if you have a look around the city centres nowadays, if you have a look around everywhere, libraries seem to be closing an awful lot. And we don't seem to have as many libraries open as they used to be. I certainly remember when I was a child um, that going to the library was one of the highlights of the week. And we'd go along with uh, my mum and we'd um, hopefully do a library sessions and we'd sit there for hours talking. And we'd also try to go through some of the different genres. So, Alice, are you there yet? Can you? Yeah, can you hear me? Sorry for the delay. <laughs> Um, so That's I did right. Your introduction, and um, you are an absolute superstar when it comes to literacy. Uh, we worked together for a couple of years. You were in my teacher readers, teachers readers group. And yep, indeed. School, et cetera. So, um, big fan. Uh, I know that you're a big fan of literacy and all things to do. Absolutely. I'm really excited to um, talk to you today about what we're doing at King Alfred's and hear what you're doing, et cetera. So, apologies for the delay. We are um, going now. <laughs> That's right. Thank you ever so much for joining us. I mean, as I said, it's 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 I've I've been absolutely a huge fan of yours ever since I saw you at a research ed. And I saw some of the fabulous things that you were doing and I've been down to King Alfred's Academy and seen some of the magnificent things that you're doing. So in order to start us off, then, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your context? Absolutely. So um, as you can hear, my accent is American. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. And I married a Dutch person. We lived in the Netherlands for three years, Sweden for two, Ireland for six, Germany for three, and the UK since 2005. So a bit of um, uh, exposure to a lot of different countries, a lot of different education systems. And along the way, I had five children. Um, so okay. I seen them. Yeah, so I've seen them in various <laughs> um, in various school settings, etc. I saw the impact of reading on my own children, and I had qualified to be a teacher in history way back in 1991 but decided to re-qualify to teach English 
and became very interested in the impact, the power impact of reading. So I did a master's in children's literature and then got back into teaching at King Alfred's in 2013, teaching English then. I also now teach history. I work at the same school, so I work in a comprehensive that is a uh, in Wantage in Oxfordshire. It's a large secondary um, and, you know, non-selective, etc. Um, sort of run-of-the-mill as far as, you know, 20% uh, PP, 22%, um, etc. Yeah. And um, I run, I teach English and history, as I mentioned, plus I run our uh, literacy program. I'm the literacy coordinator and do everything to support reading, including running our whole accelerated reader program. So where reading is concerned, there's really, the context is the three different areas that I've been working on over yep. the last 10 years, basically, are um, reading for pleasure and enjoyment and yep. reading in subjects, so academic reading and yeah. supporting struggling readers. So I think we'll probably talk about all those three different areas in the context of building reading. Absolutely. Um, and I know also that you are an absolute kind of guru in terms of reading. I mean, you said that you've got five kids and I know that every time I, I kind of look on social media and any time you post any kind of things with your children in them, they've always got a book open or someone's got a book open. <laughs> and it's all... <laughs> this evening, my son finished his um, master's, his dissertation, um, yeah. ancient history, and he immediately went to reading the Odyssey, right? So it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, aren't you set up with ancient Greek history? Um, but yeah, they're all um, readers. And that is a bit of luck, but it's also um, that they were constantly exposed to a wide yeah. range of different books. And I went with what interest, uh, interested them. Oh, absolutely. Um, so to start us off tonight, why do you think then that reading is so massively important, um, not only for, for as, as kind of as people, as human beings, but also for, for, for educators, for kids to read in education, um, to read outside of school. Why do you think reading is so important to us? Yeah. So um, everybody that's on the show will know that reading has a direct impact on academic outcomes across every single subject. And there's lots of research to show this. Obviously, um, Way back uh, 10 years ago, Pisa was talking about reading as uh, more, reading well as a more important indicator of success than socioeconomic yeah. status. But also things like the GL assessment. They did a study a couple of years ago of 370,000 students looking at their GCSE results and the correlation between the results in different subjects and the reading ability. And there's a very high correlation across a range of subjects, including, for example, in geography, it's 0.65, and in maths, it's mm -hmm. um, quite high as well. Maths, it's uh, 0.63, history, 0.61. So basically, if you read well, you're going to do better in these particular subjects. What reading does is it makes you smarter because it improves your vocabulary, and vocabulary Absolutely. is a really good proxy for intelligence, plus it builds up your background knowledge. So, I mean, all those things, and I've actually done an analysis of the exam papers in all their different subjects, looking at the reading ages required across the different subjects. And it generally is yeah. reading age of around, say, 13, 14, 15, something like that. So it's yeah. quite um, challenging for students who struggle with reading to even access the papers. So that's academic. But of course, when you talk about why reading is important, it also... Uh, widens and deepens your horizons. It exposes you to um, subject experts and to um, discipline-specific texts. 
And of course, it develops empathy. Um, it helps yeah. to the, it, it helps a young person to understand how other people might feel in di- difficult or complex situations. It improves self confidence. It uh, can be great for mental health. And of course, for those who are confident readers, it can be very enjoyable and relaxed. And I'm saying that because reading isn't always enjoyable for everyone. If they find reading yeah. hard, it's not going to be enjoyable. So, um, and I would say finally, um, there is, as far as why reading is important, there's sort of a moral and a civic imperative. So we need to make sure that the students that we send out into the bigger, wider world, no matter what they choose to do, are able to access the full range of opportunities available to them, both as far as jobs are concerned, but also civic yep. duty and um, et cetera. We want them to be able to read confidently and um, to be able to engage with everything they yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly is interesting with the the reading ages of exams because I know I remember them when we when when I came down to King Alfred's. You talked about one of the the hardest papers was I think as a design technology, which you needed a reading age of about eighteen yeah. in order to access the paper. Right. Um, so it's it's so massively important to get kids into reading, and and I suppose they they read a lot. If, if you actually think about it, because most of the kids have mobile phones and they're reading text messages, they're reading Instagram all the time. So they do read, yeah. but just not continuously. And I think exactly. it's also that. Exactly. So it's the sustained, um, yeah. uh, more academic reading that they find difficult. Yes, absolutely. They're reading all the time, short text messages, etc. But the sustained reading with more complex vocabulary, and in particular, the tier two and tier three vocabulary. So um, tier one, of course, is our normal spoken language. That's what they would be probably using in yep. text messages. Um, tier mm. three is the subject specific uh, vocabulary. And that would be the sort of vocabulary in design technology that's very complex. And then tier two is the academic um, sorts of vocabulary that go across subjects. Um, so um, a word like an evaluate, for example, would be used across yeah. subjects. Yeah, I also think it's it's really interesting when you said it's the extended reading that they've got to do because I think that also helps with concentration. Um, if you if you have to sit and you have to concentrate on the words that are in front of you, it also helps to kind of to be able to be able to sit in a classroom and be able to concentrate for a lot longer if you're able to sit and read for long periods of time. So I think that's another way that reading is really important. Also, yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Um, my next question to you then is um, when you first arrived at King Alfred's, um, what sort of challenges um, did you face? And in terms of building a reading culture, um, the sorts of things that you had to do, the sorts of things that were already there that weren't working, um, and how did you overcome them? Yeah. Um, so when I first came to King Alfred's, uh, we, we, so I should have said we, are a, we were at that point a three site school. So we had year yep. 10 day, a long site, year 9 and 10 on a second site, and uh, and then the rest of the students on um, a third site. We now have two sites. We've moved to two sites. Uh, okay. We had one library um, for the three sites, and that one library was basically used mostly for detentions and for meetings. It was very rare <laughs> to see a student in the library. So it was really, really quite awful. The um, stock was outdated. So it was books that hadn't been issued in um, 30 years type things and very community. <laughs> Uh, yeah. The um, there was even in so when I came in 2013, there was very little discussion of reading for pleasure, even in the English department. So I yeah. qualified as a teacher. I was a new teacher there, and oh, all these English teachers—they're going to be want to talk about reading for pleasure and how can we encourage the 
students to read more, but actually there was almost no discussion of that. And it wasn't seen as something that was important as far as the exam results were concerned. Yeah. Um, we didn't monitor reading attainment. So uh, we didn't right. know where our students were at with their reading. And there were really no interventions other than um, putting students in a bottom set type thing. And that actually yeah. had a negative impact on them. Um, literacy was bad. Um, there was no what I call academic reading. So no emphasis on reading within different subjects. Yeah. And then there wasn't really much of a focus on uh, teaching those tier two words I've already mentioned. Uh, yeah. And of course, um, in the wider picture, I would say that's, you know, my school and it was similar to many other schools. I did um, yeah. training in a different local school and it was very, very similar there. And what I would also say is there wasn't that much support from Department for Education or Ofsted at that point. This was around 2013. At that mm -hmm. point, it was mentioned in Department for Education documents and Ofsted, oh, it's really good if students read for pleasure, but there was really no push on it. So that was quite a lot to overcome. And what I will always say with the, the means of changing a school, it doesn't happen overnight. There's no magic wand. So when I think about the journey that we've been on over the last 10 years and the journey that we remain on, because there's still a lot of work to be done, yeah, not that it changed overnight, right? There is um, a lot to be done. And I, I suppose um, what I tried to do is to have sort of a five-year plan where I wanted to be in five years and then yep. to talk to key stakeholders, the senior leadership team, mm -hmm. teachers, parents, students, governors, the community at every single possibility. So I was um, talking about the importance and the impact of reading and uh, why we needed to change our approaches to this whenever I got the chance with this longer-term picture that I had in mind. And I was also, at the same time, very active in following the, the reading research, what was coming out there in the bigger, wider world about the impact of reading. I got involved yeah. in Twitter, and that has been um, really useful for a network of people that are working in this area. And I've learned a lot from other educators who are thinking about reading, who are researching on reading, and who are willing to share their ideas and resources of mm -hmm. research on this topic. So I sort of got stuck into that world, looking at how important it was and trying to pass that along, along that message, but in bite-sized chunks to yeah. colleagues and to other people that are key stakeholders. Now, so, I mean, one of the things... Yeah. That would, sorry, yeah, carry on. Yeah. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, one of the things that I picked up on is they said that the, the, the library used to use, be used for detentions. I mean, we, we've had that at certain points. I don't think we use it anymore for the library at Wilkes Academy. Um, but it's one of the things that... Um, that, that people use the library for and don't realise the negative impact it can have because lots of those people that go in to do the detentions of the library then just see it as a negative space. It's, it's they associate it with, with that kind of negativity. Um, so, you know, getting detentions out of the library so that we can use the library, I think, is a great way of kind of overcoming some of those things. So it's, did you? how long did it take you to get people to kind of take the detentions away from the library so it just became a library uh yeah so um i made it pretty clear right in the beginning actually that one didn't take too long because yeah. i basically said to the smaller leadership this is completely wrong and i explained why and um that that actually happened fairly quickly but you know there was a journey so if i look at the trajectory of how we got involved 
um, you know, in how, how we build a, built a reading school, um, there is a trajectory. So that was one step, making sure the yeah. library wasn't used for detentions. And that was actually fairly straightforward, but then there's a lot more to it. So how do we ensure that students are uh, have a wide range of books that are on uh, topics that interest them, as well as books that are more recently written, etc. So mm. all those sorts of things. We need lots of exposure to different types of books. We need um, people with expertise on those books. So our librarian at the time really wasn't even, she didn't really like young people or wasn't, actually, to be fair, she read herself, but wasn't really interested in sharing her thoughts and creating a reading community with shared recommendations. So when I started, I was looking at that aspect of things. I, uh, back in 2014, 2015, we participated in something called Oxfordshire Gaining Momentum, which was yep. a, a literacy development program. And um, I started to think about how can you uh, improve students' enjoyment of reading? How can you yep. help those students that are struggling with reading? And how can we push reading across all subjects? So that helped to sort of fine-tune my thinking in that area. And then, of course, I would then um, spread the messages on to the various leadership and everybody else that was involved. Okay, brilliant. So the other thing that I picked up on is to said that when you came, there were three sites, um, and now there are two sites. How are there, do you have two libraries or is there just one library and, yeah. and the kind of how do you, do you overcome that, the fact that yeah. you've got two different types of students and then yeah. getting them to kind of. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so initially in the three sites, we had um, the one library that wasn't utilized, the library on yeah. the other site was turned into a computer room. Um, so there was no library available, but I pushed really hard. And this is one of the messages I would send across to people that are advocating for reading. You do have yep. to be quite forceful, um, <clears throat> is the word I might use. And I made it really clear, we cannot go forward and be a reading school unless we have a library. Absolutely crucial to have that library. So I said to them, yeah. uh, we need to have a library um, and we were going to move from one site to the other. So they then found um, the, the, what it ha had been a library for before was made into a computer room. So they needed to find another space. So the largest room was a, a, used to be a science lab. And they created that into a library for us. So we then um, renovated that. And I said, okay, great. We've got a library. But we didn't have a member of staff. We didn't have a librarian to be in yeah. the library. And I, I made it really clear. I was, you know, um, and I cannot, I said, you know, I cannot work in a school that doesn't have a uh, well-run library. If we don't have yeah. a member of staff that is supporting our students to find the right books, we do not have a well-run library. Do I make... Yeah. It's what I, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, but you know, in sort of a joking way, but um, yeah. but they understood the message. So we got that library well set up. And um, to go back to your question, that's for year seven and eight in particular, and that's where yeah. we're strongest at my school because we have mm -hmm. really good provision for year seven and eight, and we tend to then tailor the collection for the books that are more for stage three. We have some shelves of books that are for a little bit more mature readers. We have another library, um, and this was, again, when we did the rebuild and et cetera. I said, we've got to have a functioning library space. Um, we have two other libraries on center, what we call center site, which is for years 9 through 13. One library yep. is more for reading for pleasure, and um, then a second library is more of an academic library. And I would say 
um, our area for growth is that we don't actually have a member of staff that's permanently there. I'm there with yeah. other um, sixth form library leaders that run these two libraries, but we yeah. don't have enough support. So that's an area for development um, for us. Okay, brilliant. Well, I think we've already started discussing this next question for you, but now you've once you've overcome all of those initial kind of concerns, the things that were that were stopping the building of a reading culture, what did you do then to start building it? I mean, obviously, one of the main things that I've taken from the last bit that you said is that you've got to be really forceful in the things that you actually want. So I'm presuming that was one of the things that you wanted to do is make sure that everyone knew that this is what I want. Yeah. Yeah. So um, exactly. But then um, so as I sort of into that, I was busy trying to find the research and um, the sort of government policies that were pushing in the right direction. And mm-hmm. what's happened over the last 10 years is everything sort of I, I felt like back then I was sort of pushing against a current, but things yeah. have turned around. And there has been quite a lot of research out, a lot of people working in the area. Um, updated Department for Education um, guidelines about reading, including a brand new update in July 2023, which I might talk about yep. a bit later, uh, which okay. includes uh, primary school and history. It's quite an extensive document. Ofsted now has made it really clear that reading is a central mm-hmm. focus of yep. uh, not just primary inspections, but also um, secondary inspections in every single subject. So I've, yeah. uh, when I think about, you know, how I build reading, uh, how I was building reading school, I was out there in, you know, listening to podcasts, reading things, finding out what's going on, uh, and then, and then taking that information that I gained and presenting it in various formats. So for example, I presented uh, every single year to the senior leadership team and I said, okay, this yeah. year we're out with a reading. This is what the problem is. We can see, for example, that our students who are in these bottom sets are making negative progress with their reading. We need to do something different as far as our provision for these particular students. So I had data to show the impact of what we were doing and what we were not doing. And that then was quite effective for the senior leadership to show them that what we're doing right now doesn't work. We need to do something different. And then they began to look at the options I was presenting and said, um, yes, that would work. One area that um, similarly I presented to the governors um, every single year, and we were looking in particular at uh, provision for pupil premium students as well as for students who, what we call the catch-up students, so the students who did make expected progress when they came into year seven. And there's a pot of money that's um, for those particular groups, and we need to make sure we're using that money effectively. So I was pushing for one of the most important things we can do for those groups of people is making sure they can read at age level. And yeah. here's ways we can effectively use some of that funding to support um, these particular students. And here's the data then um, that shows that this is working, right? So I made a case really systematically with the yeah. research that was out there, but also specific to King Alfred's, the groups that we had, the um, the resources that we had or didn't have, and how we might change things or how what we were doing is successful. So I made that case to the senior leadership, to the governors. I did presentations every year to the heads of faculty as well. Okay, yep. For the heads of faculty, uh, what I was looking at was reading in subjects. And already starting in around 2015 or so, I was talking about whole school reading and about what research shows 
is the most effective way for students to read a complex text, which basically mm -hmm. is um, pre-reading strategies, during yep. reading strategies, and after reading strategies. I use okay. something called High Five, and that okay. includes those particular components. So back in 2015, 16, I was explaining, you don't give a student a text that's cold, that they haven't seen before, they don't, and say, read that. You need to prime them to be ready to read that particular text. You need to give them perhaps some key vocabulary. You need to um, build their background knowledge before they read. You need to um, stoke their interest in this particular yeah. um, topic. And I gave them ways of doing that and modeled that. So I explained that to the heads of faculty, then did whole school CPD as well to explain yep. to the entire teaching staff how to do this. What I would say, with um, those were useful, but I think what, in upon reflection, um, sometimes those things can be a bit of flash in the pan, right? So you get the CPD and it's, you know, January CPD and um, teachers say, oh, that's brilliant, I'm going to do that. But if it's not sustained and implemented yeah. into the curriculum and into yeah. the overall blueprint for teaching and learning, it does become a bit of flash in the pan. So I think uh, we didn't effectively implement reading in subjects until later, around uh, 2020, yeah. when we started to integrate <laughs> it into faculties, into their long-term, long medium-term, and short-term curriculum plans. And then yeah. did whole school CPD with top-up, et cetera. So basically what I'm saying here is there was lots of things that we experimented with that either yep. worked or didn't work, and then we adjusted based on one um, example would be um, we uh, have used the Accelerated Reader Program, and we started that in around 2016. I know people have strong opinions on that one way or another. It, a lot, like most things, it depends on how it's used. And what I'll say is we bought this program for our year seven and eight students. It yep. enabled us to see where they're at with their reading. Um, but in the first year that we used it, it was not actually effective for much more than that. It was basically we were using it to gauge where they're at with their reading. To okay. Whether or not students were making progress. So over the course of the last sort of six, seven years, every single year we change it and tweak it and fine tune it because it isn't yet where we want it to be. We want it to be a program um, that's used to make students enthusiastic about reading, to expose them to a wide variety of different sorts of texts, to um, get them um, to see themselves a, as a reader, even if they haven't been that in primary school. And um, there isn't one right way to do this, which is why I keep tweaking it every single year and yeah. think, you know, we're getting better and better. Oh, but it's a journey, not a final destination. Yeah, so, so it's a it's a long-term thing. You have to kind of put effort into it. You can't just kind of buy into a specific uh, piece of software and then think, oh, I bought it now. I can just leave it to run its course and everyone will be happy and we'll suddenly have a reading culture. There's lots of effort that needs yeah. to go into it. Lots of effort and lots of CPD for the teachers. So we've had some issues mm -hmm. where um, the teachers that have been assigned to this have not been very enthusiastic about delivering it. And therefore, the lessons are not engaging for the students and not um, useful for the students. So yeah. CPD for the teachers, why this is so important, how you can deliver it in a way that uh, will be successful and that ensures that these lessons are productive for the students, right? That they're actually yeah. um, and not just pretending to read or messing around, um, that they're actually seeing themselves making progress and being exposed to different sorts of books. 
would that involve following up as well? So you said that there were some reluctant teachers that were that sometimes weren't putting as much enthusiasm into it and you had to go through a couple of CBD sessions. Would that also require you to possibly go and talk to them and have a look at their lessons and try to get them to come and see you doing it? So, Yeah, so exactly that. So it's basically um, talk to them about, and you know what I would have them do sometimes is come and watch me deliver um, an accelerated reader lesson or I provided them with resources. Um, so, you know, I, I tried to make it for that it was straightforward for them by giving a guideline for what precisely the lessons might look like and resources. For example, if they have a tricky class, um, uh, what they might do with that tricky class. So if you have a class, what, yeah. if you have trouble to get them settled down to read silently, here is a short book that you, a short story or a short book that you can read aloud to the whole class for the first few yeah. minutes. Or um, mm. we've recently been using a program called Myon, which is linked to Accelerated Reader. It is yep. quite an interesting program because it is um, 6,000 books that are available to students as e-books. Uh, and what's nice about it is all those, well, almost all those books have read aloud capacity. So we can yeah. have students listen to books and as they listen to them, there's sort of a highlighter that goes along on the page yeah. with tracking the words basically so they can follow along in the story as they are listening to it and that okay. has helped with classes that are um, a little bit more challenging and with students who find reading really difficult because yeah. they are listening to the story getting involved in the story but also tracking it while they read so we're trying yeah. to find a variety of different ways there is as i keep saying no magic wand it is <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, you are, we're dealing with our cohorts are large, so 300 students in each year group. And that's a lot of different needs, a lot of different reading levels. And, uh, of course, a lot of different teachers as well delivering yeah. these lessons. So I'm trying Absolutely. to make it as consistent as possible. So a piece of work that I've just done this summer, which I put um, on Twitter, but also on my website, is our accelerated reading booklets for year seven and yep. year eight for this year. And what I've decided to do this year because I know I've got a strong team of accelerated reader teachers this year, but a lot yeah. of them haven't done much reading themselves of young people's fiction. So they don't know the sorts of books to recommend. So what I've decided yeah. to do is uh, include extracts from age appropriate, interesting and engaging novels. And the extracts yeah. are quite um, fun to read and listen to. Students come into the lessons, they read the extract, um, they answer a couple of questions on the extract. And on the side there, there's recommendations for other books that within that genre that they might enjoy. And we'll have yeah. a link to those displays both in the classroom where the accelerated reader lessons take place. And that classroom's right next door to the library. So there'll be displays there um, to feed into um, any genres that students might be interested in. What I'll say yeah. with, um, so the reason why we're doing these booklets with the questions or comprehension questions in my school next year, all subjects at the beginning of lessons, we have students doing um, booklets with um, something to read and some questions to answer. So that's why I needed to use that particular format. And I figured if we're going to use that format, I may as well then um, kill a couple of birds with uh, one stone, yeah. get them exposed to different sorts of genres that perhaps the teachers don't know about and get them perhaps interested in that particular book or something. Okay, so I'm going to come back to you in a couple of seconds. I'm going to put the news on for a second, um, and then I will come back to you afterwards. Um, so I will speak to everyone in a second, and here's the news.
It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. BBC News reports on GCSE results and the impact resets in English and maths could have on post-16 providers. According to figures it has published on the news website, over 167,000 pupils in England received grade 3 or below in maths, whilst 172,000 failed English language. The number of pupils not achieving grade 4 in English language is highest for a decade. The Association of Colleges has estimated that the extra GCSE re resits could cost around £16 million for the year and highlighted the yo-yo effect the pandemic has had on resits making planning a huge challenge. Julie McCulloch of Education Union Askell said resits were demoralising for students and reform of English and maths qualifications was badly needed. Last year, only 20% of those retaking a maths GCSE achieved grade 4 or above. The BBC also reported on GCSE pass rates in England, Wales and Northern Ireland as falling. The drop was steepest in England, but in Wales and Northern Ireland, grades were always meant to be higher. Analysis on the news website also indicates that in England, the gap between regions with lowest and highest proportions of GCSE passes has grown, and that state schools had a steeper fall in pass rates than in private schools. Schools Week features a story on A-level results and the widening attainment gap between North and South. According to data published on its website, the North East now has the lowest proportion of A-star and A-grades, lower than pre-pandemic levels, at 22%. At the same time, London and the South East have recorded the biggest rises when compared to 2019. Labour's Shadow Schools Minister said the results showed the failure of the government's levelling up agenda. The article discusses a range of factors which could contribute to the disparity across the best and worst performing regions, including existing long-term deprivation, exacerbated by the pandemic, food insecurity, made worse by the current cost of living crisis, and more usual factors such as attendance, device access and the use of catch-up schemes. Full details can be found on the Schools Week website. The Guardian also takes a look at academic outcomes for pupils this time through the lens of those referred to social services during childhood. It states that data suggests these pupils are twice as likely to fail GCSE maths and English than other pupils. Data from a three-year period found 53% of teens who had been referred to social care did not achieve a grade 4 pass in both the GCSE subjects. This is in contrast to 24% in those not subject to a referral. The analysis was carried out by the charity Action for Children. 
It is the first study to examine data for children with a referral rather than just those who receive support. Around 318,000 children a year are referred to social care, although many do not meet thresholds to receive support. The Guardian also featured comments from school leaders on the impact high levels of absence and poor mental health of pupils have had on outcomes for some. Many cited a lack of formal support for pupils and their families, contributing to further strains on school staff, as they tried to plug gaps usually filled by other services, such as social care and the NHS. Following on from its examination of regional disparity in academic outcomes across different regions, Schools Week also reports on proposals for elite six forms being given the go-ahead. The Eaton Star 16-19 to 19 Free Schools, a collaboration between Eaton College and Star Academies, will open in Dudley, Teesside and Oldham. This is part of the 15 new free schools announced by government in the last week. The aim is to improve education standards and get more pupils from the North and Midlands to Oxbridge. The Sixth Form Colleges Association has, however, warned that more sixth forms could lead to existing high-performing provision being unnecessarily disrupted. Eaton College will provide financial and extracurricular support through its partnership with STAR. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan commented on the 15 new schools saying, we want to make more good school places available to families. The 15 schools also include two new university technology colleges, the first to be approved in five years, and a Brit School North to be opened in Bradford. The sixth form sector has reacted to the new plans, saying that in the 55 education investment areas, there are already enough colleges and school sixth forms in the areas to meet need. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Right. Well, we're back again on uh, Teachers Talk Radio on how to build a reading culture with myself, Sean Mackay, and Alice Vissafuri. So, Alice, we were talking about some of the things, again, that you've been doing for your school and how you've been building that reading culture. Uh, one of the things I wanted to come on to is how have you managed to get maybe the, the pupil premium, the reluctant readers to kind of become part of that that reading culture that you're building at King Alfred's? That's a really good question, and that is probably the most important thing that I've been working on at King Alfred's, because when you think about um, the students that are in school, there are keen readers and you want to expose them to a wide variety of books, but they're going to do pretty well anyway. Um, yep. And um, there's Go With The Flow readers, uh, which I work on as well, but it's this, the reluctant and the struggling readers that I am most concerned about and that I put a lot yeah. of time and effort into. So. Um, I would say, you know, there's two categories of readers there. One is the more reluctant readers who can read um, but don't want to. And then there's also yep. the struggling readers. So I'm just going to start with the struggling readers first because okay. those are the students who um, perhaps um, still struggle with decoding or or maybe have fluency issues. And yep. what we've done for those readers is we put in place um, sustained and systematic interventions to ensure that they make progress so that they become more confident with their reading. So for example, we do something called reading partners and that okay. community volunteers who are trained and they come in and offer one-to-one -one support half an hour a week um, with these students, giving them time to read. And I say in particular, okay, this student struggles with decoding. You need to do this particular thing with this student. And I'm there yeah. to support these sessions for that going on. 
Um, but what it is for the students is they're getting 30 minutes of one-to-one quality time to improve their reading. And um, it helps them to pr- pr- improve their attainment, but also improves their motivation. And they see themselves as readers. So that's one example. I also do um, decoding groups and fluency groups and et cetera. Yeah. Um, we make sure that we have the right resources for these various groups of students. So the struggling readers who need books uh, to support decoding, we've got a number of decodable readers um, in place for them. Yep. For stable free struggle word fluency, we have a lot of, say, the, the Badger books, which uh, for okay. readers on nonfiction topics that are really interesting. So there's books of aliens and books on mummies and et cetera. They <laughs> okay, are accessible. Yeah. Um, but they're um, quite short, and students can read them relatively quickly. They're building up background knowledge as they read, um, while at the same time um, learning uh, learning to read more fluently. So we've got yeah. we've invested lots and lots of time and effort into making sure that we have the um, support in place for the interventions as well as the resources. Graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, Choose Your Own Adventure, that's my new thing. Choose Your Own Adventure uh, books. They absolutely love those where, you know, if you want to go to the cave, go to page 17. If you want to go to the river, go to page 27. Yeah, I remember those as a kid. They've been around for yeah. a while. Yeah. So I've just done a new book list. And if people are interested in knowing the titles of a whole range of different ones, um, pinned to my Twitter feed is a new book list for Key Stage 3. And one of the yeah. categories is graphic novels as well as verse novels and also these interactive novels. And I'm yeah. Okay. So yeah, so that's for the um, struggling readers, and then for the reluctant readers, sort of building on that, um, and and it's uh, making sure that we've got a wide range of books, and that we tailor the book to the students. So I do something called reading constantly, and that is when students say, "Oh, I hate reading," or "I don't read. I'm not a reader." Thank you. Yeah. And then I hear their story, right? So I pull them on a listen, maybe. Um, I also do detention fishing. Uh, I call it that. So after school, I pull students out of detention um, and it's totally voluntary. So it's, you know, it's, you know, do you want to come with me? And they all want yeah. to come with me because they get. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I take one at a time and I will talk to um, students about their reading history, what they've enjoyed in the past, where their reading barriers are, what their interests are, and try to match up a book with something that, um, a book with something that they enjoy. So it's trying to make sure that we listen to the students as individuals and meet their particular reading needs, both as far as the um, difficulty level, but also as far as the interest uh, interest that they have. So I, seeing them as individuals has been really important for uh, the reluctant readers and for our struggling readers. Okay, that that's brilliant. Uh, thank you very much. That's really great. So um, moving on then from that... Um, in terms of building your reading culture at your school, what have been your biggest um, successes along that journey? I mean, there, 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 there seems to be loads. I mean, as I said, I've been down to King Alfred's Academy and it's such a wonderful school. Um, the things that you're doing is amazing. But what have been the biggest things, the things that have, have really been successful, the things that you've been really kind of, that you know, I'm really proud of? That's something I really enjoyed doing. I think, um, well, there's several different things, but let me just start where I left off with um, okay. readers. I have yep. many students who say, I've never read a book before. Um, this okay. is the first time. And now I've read you know, 27 books. Um, and they're probably all very short books. 
Um, I yeah. have one um, last year who um, um, who struggles with decoding. He had never read a single book in his life, and his mom didn't think he had the concentration to listen to a book. He became a world okay. millionaire, right? So meaning, oh, and that wow, was the acceleration, and that was through his decoding. He still struggles with decoding, but we got him onto yeah. audiobooks, and he listened to dozens of audiobooks and sees himself as a reader. He comes into school smiling. Because he's now a reader and his mom is just over the moon. <laughs> her words were overjoyed. She's never seen her son this happy. So those wow. things really make a difference um, for those individual students. And um, there are many of them who come and who change their perception of themselves. So I'd say yeah. it was reading successes, that in particular, but also um, the larger picture of reading at King Alfred's. The whole thing, we've got a you know tagline, we are a reading school. Everybody has, yes. every student has a reading book with them at all times. Mm-hmm. Students all understand if you ask them uh, why why read, they all understand the reasons why we value that at King Alfred's and can articulate it. So it is uh, sort of filtered down to the students, the staff all um, have buy-in. That's not to say everything's easy. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. of, uh, uh, there's still many barriers, but I would say that sort of, that has seeped into the culture and that's quite rewarding given where we mm-hmm. were 10 years ago to see that absolutely i mean um i i think i remember seeing the child when i was down there and he came into the library while we were there i think um because he'd come to change his book or he'd come to see if something else could be loaded on any because i i think he that you have um uh, cd players i think don't you yeah. which they can borrow from the library. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that was one of the provisions when I talked about the resources that we put in place. And I, you know, this particular child was just pretending to read, right? So he would just turn yeah. pages and get these big fat books and he wasn't reading it at all. Um, now, you know, he's listening to books. We also need to make sure that he can read them. So his first book that he had <laughs> yeah. himself was A Cat in the Hat, right? And he had never read. So I mean, you think you're seven, A Cat in the Hat? But that yeah. sort of the level that he was at. And he has made really good progress. And at the end of the year, it was so nice. We were in a, one yeah. of the small groups, a um, decoding group of five students. And he really, really struggled with that. And he mm. read a text, which was a longer text. And he says, I'm just really proud of the way I read that. Right? So <laughs> it's heartwarming, really, to um, to hear that. So that is very rewarding. Um, uh, because it, I think for him, if we can crack it for him, crack the reading, that will make um, a difference in, in you know, life on Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the other thing that um, I, was, I was going to talk about to just, uh, just for a few seconds um, is you talked um, before when about staff and CPD. Um, when it when it comes to CPD, how much CPD do you do with staff? Um, and and is it is it long CPD in order to get them engaged with the things that you're doing, or is it just kind of short bursts of of you know this is what we're going to do, this is what we have to do, this is why we're doing it? Um, how does that work in terms of the CPD leaking into your your reading culture into building that so that everyone's on board? Yeah, so we tried all those models. Basically, we tried various things. You know, seeding it in and doing it. Um, you know, yeah. pop-ups and et cetera. So um, basically what we tried to do, we look at the, um, we, we tried to make it really integrated. So we have a teaching learning blueprint, um, yep. which emphasizes the importance of reading and strategies that teachers can use in the classroom. I then do a CPD normally at, um, it'll probably be the October inset with maybe a top-up in January, where I explain precisely how what I'm doing fits into the larger teaching learning blueprint. 
So um, it, so there's not another add-on. What I don't want is that, oh, that's reading and that's separate from teaching and, liver- uh, and learning. I want it to be yeah. integrated. So I work really clean. Yeah. Line manager is the um, deputy head for, and she's in charge of teaching and learning. So we work really right. closely. How are we going to do this? And often what we'll do is um, if we're going to try something new, so we're going to have a push on um, an ORSI, for example, um, we're going to yeah. try that within uh, with a smaller group of teachers that are perhaps quite keen to try something new. We will then um, do that in our own classroom, see what works, yeah. what doesn't, and then feed that back to the larger staff. And then it is not just me. So I try to make it so it's not just me doing the CPD that we have as you know a science teacher or a history teacher um, giving feedback to the larger staff on that. What I also do, so in addition to the um, the whole school CPDs that we do a couple of times a year, I always yeah. do CPD for new staff that come in, right? Because uh, okay. and I've already yeah. done that on the in, on the days in July for our new staff, and yeah. I record things. So I do quite a lot of Loom videos. Some of those, okay. um, and students and teachers that want to come back to something can do that. We also sometimes do morning briefings. Um, well, we have morning briefings every week, but sometimes we have more curriculum focused. Uh, morning briefings, and I'll do a talk okay. there as well, just a five-minute, we're working on the moment on this particular, on academic reading, and we're looking at pre-reading strategies. Um, can you make sure that when you are introducing a complex text, that you prime students to be ready to access the material in that text? So continuous reminders all the time of yeah. the things that they need to be doing. Okay, cool. Right, be back in a couple of seconds and then we'll be talking for the last part to Alice. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Okay, we're back for the final part of our um, live radio show today, uh, talking with Alice Visafuri about how to build a reading culture in school. So, um, one of the things um, I forgot to ask um, earlier was, when it comes to your library, how have you um, advertised? How have you got more people to come into your library? I know that you said that you'd you'd bought a, a, a wide, vast range of books in order to interest lots of people. But but even when sometimes that happens, because I know we've done that as well, sometimes you still don't get people coming into the library. How have you managed to, to get children into the library? Yeah, we do a whole range of um, activities. Um, library is buzzing. It absolutely is yeah. the heart of the school and people enjoy being there. Um, our um, librarian is warm and welcoming, so that's really important as well. Um, but what we do is we do a range of sort of activities um, and challenges for students that okay. are based in the library. So, for example, when the World Cup was on or when the, the Rumpy Six Nations thing was on, uh, okay. all the, uh, those sorts of worldly or those in the sporting events, we have little yeah. quiz. So if you read a book and write oh, okay. a review or if you um, pass an AR quiz, you get a ticket, you get to pull out a country. Oh, okay. Uh, win, 
Um, if you win, you get a little prize. And they get really excited about it um, going uh, going there. We also then will have, we have um, Read Your Way challenges. So those are okay. way around the world. Read Your Way Through the Universe, Read Your Way Through History, Read Your Way Through a Changing Planet, um, Read Your Way Through Numbers and Fiction and Nonfiction. Um, so there's six different Read Your Way challenges. And yeah. there's displays in the library of those things. There are character building challenges that are part of what students are expected to do. There's sort of 25 different character challenges, one of which is the Read Your Way challenges. Those are okay. in the library and um, tutors will encourage students to go to the library to participate in this challenge for, um, in order to be able to tick off one of their character challenges. So we do a lot of okay. stuff like that. And as I mentioned, a lot of new books and, you know, I talk about, so manga is, uh, is super popular and so yes. you know, really reluctant <laughs> students. Um, if we say, oh, uh, you know, I'll talk to them and, I'll, and they'll say, well, what would you like uh, me to buy? And I'll buy a particular book or um, series um, for them. And then I'll say, it's uh, go to the library. It's there now. And, you know, they're running to the library. Oh, brilliant. Really good. Oh, fabulous. So um, to finish off then, um, if you had to summarize, uh, what are the, um, I don't know, three or four most important things in your opinion to do if you wanted to um, take everything that you've said um, to start building a reader in country in your school, what would be the most important things to do in order to get that started? To answer that question, I think I'm going to go with sort of the quality that you need because it really depends on the context of the particular school yeah, and okay. uh, where you're at. So different schools are in different places. So I'll address yeah. that question, but I'm going to talk about um, the qualities that I think you need to, yeah. uh, the most important qualities that you need to to build a reading school and to build a reading culture. So I'd say okay. for strategic, um, you need to be strategic, meaning that you need to know precisely where you're at. So I'd suggest being strategic is knowing where you're at right now. So doing some sort of audit. I've got various um, things available on the website. There's lots out there as well. The Department for Education yeah. Reading Framework, they have yep. audit questions in that document that they produce. So looking through those questions and finding out where are you now, right? So what needs to be done? Then thinking about your where do you want to be? What is it that you want to focus on? Is it that you really want to focus on reading independently and for pleasure? Is that going to be your main area of growth or is it supporting the struggling readers or is it academic reading uh, or some combination yeah. of all those, but then looking at um, a five-year plan maybe of what you, where you want to be. So being strategic about where you're at now, what you want to achieve, but then that's your five-year plan. But then thinking in this first year of all yeah. those things I want to achieve, what can I actually do? So thinking about the uh, something that's achievable. So basically yeah. like a smart target type thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I look at, um, for the strategic part of things, I look at the EEF implementation guide um, because they have free um, materials. That's the EEF implementation guide about yeah. how to implement something new. And I try to make it so, you know, for example, if you wanted to launch the Accelerated Reader Program um, over the course of a year, that's, that's sort of a medium term plan. In order to yeah. do that effectively, you need to research where you're at, what the problems are but then figure out what you want to do with this program and how you're going to do that and then how to measure the success. So yeah. being strategic is um, is important. Then I'll um, just race through the other ones. Um, this whole idea of being uh, relentless, 
and you just push relentless. It. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This is pushing at every door, whatever comes up. Uh, every time I have a chance to communicate with parents, I do that. Right. So I would say yeah. in the, the the magazines and the newsletters and etc. Um, every time I can speak to the governor and says yes, I'll do that too. Um, so being relentless as far as um, pushing at every door, but also as far as the research, finding out what's yeah. going on in the bigger, wider world. And then I would say as well, if you can, being relentless about reading yourself, trying to read yes. some fiction for, for young people as well. Um, number three is resilient. So um, yeah. resilient, then um, there are lots of things that are going to go wrong. And, you know, I had so many times where I put so much time and effort into summer reading bingo, for example. And I put a lot yeah. of time, promoted it with 600 students, and then you get a handful of students actually. <laughs> So yeah. you just have to pick yourself up and say, okay, try it again, right? So it's yeah. something will work and some days won't. Um, so uh, being resilient and then finally just the enthusiasm, just you know, being excited. That's really a brilliant opportunity to be able to work in a uh, area that's as important as reading, building a reading yeah. culture in school and um, making a difference in the lives of these young people. So show that enthusiasm. Um, because it's really, we're lucky to be in the role that we have. And yeah, so that would be, um, the op- see the opportunities in it. And I would say those would be my four words, the strategic, relentless, resilient, and enthusiastic. Okay, that is absolutely brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Alice, for talking to us tonight. It's been fabulous and it's been eye-opening and I've taken a lot from it. I've I've, I've literally got notes all over my desk <laughs> of the things that you've actually talked about, which I'm going to put into to implementation some of, them, some of the things that I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to kind of walk in, not tomorrow, on Monday, but walk in and grab all these things because they've been absolutely brilliant. Thank you ever so much yeah. for talking to us thank tonight. You. You're thank you. You've been a brilliant host. Really, really enjoyable to, to have a conversation about reading with you. It is. It's been absolutely fabulous. So I will leave you to enjoy the rest of your Friday evening um, and all the rest of you as well. So thank you ever so much for joining us. And I will see you hopefully all in two weeks time. Thank you very much, Alice, again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.